Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. My brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Today we will be discussing Avatar The Last Airbender, Season 1, Episode 18, titled The Waterbending Master. God, this episode's amazing! I love it so much. It's really good. Jesus Christ. There is so much to unpack in this freaking episode. There is a lot going on in such a short amount of time. This is filled to the brim with really fantastic, really significant plot lines and really fantastic, really significant character development. Uh, And the big headline here is that we finally made it. To the Northern Water Tribe. We're finally there. Aang, Katara, and Sokka have arrived at the North Pole. Which, we've been on this journey with them. Going from the South Pole to the North Pole for like, what? 15? 16 episodes now? Not counting those first two because they weren't on that journey yet? Now... We finally reached our destination. That journey has reached its climax. We have made it. We got through. And it is as satisfying as it can freaking be. I cannot picture a more satisfying way for them to reach their destination. And we might as well start things off by talking about the Northern Water Tribe itself. This place is beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous. It is such a massive, vibrant city. It is brilliantly constructed. Uh, Gorgeous use of whites. Gorgeous use of water. I love that the roads are water and they just go in boats. (laughs) They're only boats. That's their mode of transportation. It's it's such a stunning landscape like that. I, I just want to live there. I just want to live at the North Pole. I want to live with the Northern Water Tribe. Because this place looks so freaking gorgeous. Everything about it is fantastic. And I love both of the characters that this episode introduces. Uh, both of the major characters this episode introduces... Uh, Paku and Yue. Master Paku and Princess Yue. Uh, Master Paku, he is a phenomenal dynamic character. He is very gruff, very dry, very dismissive 
in a really engaging way. And he grows over the course of this episode alone in a really fantastic way. He has a very compelling backstory, which we'll get into later. He's just a really compelling character who has a very dynamic, very transformative arc. And one that is all too rare for television, period, let alone a quote-unquote kids show. And Princess Yue, my god, she is phenomenal. I love everything about her. Uh, Most of her actual character development happens in the last two episodes of the season, so we'll talk about that more tomorrow and Friday. But just for this episode, even, like, she has some very compelling stuff happening. I love both of these characters. They both have really, really phenomenal introductions in this episode. Now, of course, we got to talk about the main plotline of this episode. If it sounds like I'm going through this fast, by the way, it's because, holy crap, there is a lot to talk about. Like, it's insane. It really, really is. So, main plotline of this episode... Katara basically fighting a sexist regime. A sexist practice of women can't learn to fight using waterbending. Women can only heal. All they can do is heal with their waterbending. And Master Paku is being very venomous, very pompous about it. He's like, women can't waterbend. Women have to heal. That's all they can do. I'm not going to teach you. Go away. He's just a jerk about it. And, like, right from the beginning, Katara is pissed. (laughs) She is not taking any of this shit. Uh, She goes to the healing lesson. She's not happy about it. (laughs) They have the whole thing where Aang decides, Hey, why don't I teach you some waterbending at night? They try to do it in secret. Paku discovers them immediately, and Paku's like, yeah, you've disrespected me. I'm no longer going to teach the Avatar. Like, he just refuses to teach Aang out of spite. Because how dare he teach a girl to waterbend? And I love what follows of Katara just Skirting at the edge of maybe apologizing to this prick. Just like teetering. And then Pataku. And then Paku does like that snarky, dicky, I'm waiting. Like an asshole. And Katara has a brilliant little blow up that perfectly mirrors her rage at Sokka from the very first episode. She does the same thing where she gets in a rage and then accidentally waterbends. Accidentally, like, cracks the ice in the floor. Which is amazing. Which is absolutely extraordinary. And then she's like, yeah, come outside if you're man enough to fight me. 
And I love the distinction that Katara makes as she's going down the stairs of, yeah, I'm not doing this for Aang anymore. I'm doing it because Paku's an asshole, and I gotta overturn this sexist regime, this sexist policy. I need to learn waterbending. This is everything I've wanted to do. I am not gonna be turned away now because some dick doesn't want to teach a girl. And so, we get this fight. Which Paku doesn't even want to do at first. At first, he's like, or at first, he's like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. But then, he gets into it, and this fight is so brilliantly constructed. It is so freaking perfect. Every single frame of it is stunning. It is a magnificent, magnificent standoff between Katara and Paku that really underscores how powerful Katara is just on a base level. Katara, even before being trained as a real waterbender, is a real good waterbender. And I love the exchange of dialogue mid-fight of, I'm impressed. You're an excellent waterbender. But you still won't teach me, will you? No. It's it's incredible. Literally everything about it is amazing. And... Then this fight ends. And we get the big reveal... Paku was going to marry Katara's Grand-Gran. Paku was going to marry Grand-Gran. We find out over the course of this episode. The reveal comes in bits and pieces. Grand-Gran was born in the Northern Water Tribe. She was engaged to be married. And actually the necklace that Katara wears is her betrothal necklace is Grand Grand's betrothal necklace that she's just passed down from generation to generation. And Grand Grand eventually left. Grand Grand walked away. Grand Grand moved to the South Pole. Because, as we sort of figure out later... She didn't want the North's sexist traditions holding her back. Which brings us to the reveal that that man she was going to marry, that man she was arranged to be married to, was Paku. And you can tell that Paku genuinely loved Grand Grand. She, er, he went into that marriage, or into that engagement, I should say, with the best of intentions. Like he honestly loved Grand Grand. Feels weird. Kana. He honestly loved Kana. Feels weird when he when I call her Grand Grand in this context. He honestly loved Kana. But Kana was not built for the way of life in the North, so it was doomed to fail, unfortunately. Right from the start. And Paku has just had these 60 years of regret built up. 
he you can honestly tell he just regrets everything and that's kind of an argument can be made as to why he's so bitter why he stands so firmly in these traditions because grand grand left he's bitter because the love of his life was lost he sticks to the traditions because a lack of following those traditions lost him Kana. And it is an equally phenomenal character moment when Paku makes the decision. This is the granddaughter of the woman I loved. They never make it clear, but... I suspect Katara might be biological granddaughter. Because they never say who Kana was actually with. They never do say who Kana had her child with. So I suspect that maybe... There was a situation of Paku knocked her up, then she left. This is a theory that has not been confirmed by literally anyone. So, let's not, let's not determine, let's not say it's canon, but it's a solid theory, I think. But for the purposes of this discussion, let's just go with what's in the show and say, oh, this is the granddaughter of the woman I loved. I have 60 years of regret built up. Maybe I can help myself and maybe repair what is wrong in my life. In me and Kana's life. By training her. By teaching her. To be a powerful waterbender. By breaking this sexist tradition. That lost me. The love of my life. And all of this is said. In so little words. All of this is said. Through visual cues. Through subtle dialogue cues. And through just analyzing. These scenes. Analyzing this episode deeper it's so great it's such brilliant storytelling and I love everything about it and that's just the main plot of the episode that's just the A story I haven't even gotten to the B and the C story both of which are just as fantastic you got Sokka Who's got the hots for this Princess Yue chick. And their first meeting together is as awkward as all hell. Like, it's just the most painful, awkward thing on the planet in the most delightful way possible. (laughs) And I love how Sokka's putting the moves on Yue while Katara's just sitting next to him. Mystery science theatering. (laughs) His seduction tactics. Hey, so you're a princess. 
You know, back in my village, I'm sort of a prince myself. Prince of what? <laughs> hey, you wanna do an activity together? Real smooth. <laughs> also, do an activity! <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I mean, look. I will never in my life be able to ask a girl out. Because I'm just a pathetic human being. I'm a little pathetic nerdy doughboy. It's not gonna happen. I know my odds are pathetic. I know any woman who I ask to go on some form of date uh, form of date with me would laugh in my face. So I just abstain from the whole process. Cuz I'm a terrible person. However, if I lose all of my senses at one point and ask someone out, this is how I will ask them out. Just so I can have Sokka feel better about himself. <laughs> hey, it's not just you, buddy. Do an activity together. <laughs> and if said female gets the reference, I mean, that's just fate. <laughs> Do an activity. Oh, God, this dude falling flat on his face immediately. And then the second time he falls flat on his face is when he, like, just is walking down the sidewalk, do-do-do-do-do, talking to UA, not paying attention, and then falling into the water roadway. <laughs> and then the third time he falls flat on his face is when he carves the bear fish thing. But you have this whole melodrama between them. And by the time the episode ends, you see the final moments of the episode. Or towards the end, I should say. And you find out, big mic drop, Princess Yue is engaged. She is in the middle of an arranged marriage. And this sets up... What will be a magnificent plot line in the last two episodes of the season. Let's just say that. Don't have to say anything between now and then. Just know there is more on this front. If you haven't seen this show before. There is much more on this front. My god. So, we now know that the reason for them emphasizing the betrothal necklace early on in the episode was twofold. Twofold. They were to set up the whole Master Paku Kana thing, and they were setting up the fact that Princess Yue is engaged. Is set to marry this other dude who Sokka's never met before. Brilliant. And, and that whole scene when Sokka finds out 
this woman's married and therefore off limits, quote unquote, it is heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking to witness. Like just the pure disappointment and the pure shock. It's, oh my God. And that's before getting in to Zuko's plotline in this episode. So much is happening here. My God, this episode's brilliant. It does a lot to set up Siege of the North, parts one and two. It really, really does. So Zhao figures out, okay, Avatar's heading to the Northern Water Tribe. But the Northern Water Tribe, they're kind of a big deal. So we need this mega fleet. And as part of this mega fleet, Zhao is commandeering Zuko's crew and saying, Hey, screw you. I don't need you getting in my way again. And then, and then, Zhao figures out that Zuko is the blue spirit. And the whole way Zhao confirms that Zuko is the blue spirit. Confirms that he knows Zuko is the blue spirit. He has a conversation with Iroh about it. Right in front of Zuko. It's like, have you heard of the blue spirit? He's very real. And an enemy of the Fire Nation. He's a criminal. But I'm sure justice will be done. Very soon. And during all of this, Zuko has this look of horror on his face. Like, oh, oh God. And then what does Zhao do? What does Zhao do in retaliation? He hires the pirates from the waterbending scroll a couple weeks back. He hires the pirates to destroy Zuko's ship and kill him. This is some Game of Thrones level shit. This is Game of Thrones. This is Avatar does Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones existed. Or at least the TV show. The books were written long before this show premiered. Or at least the first of the books. Zuko is the victim of an assassination attempt. And for a while, you're convinced that it worked. For a while, they lay on very thick. Zuko is dead. Zhao just killed him. And by the way, that explosion on Zuko's ship... By the way, this episode is officially longer than the episode itself. That explosion on Zuko's ship... is so... It's stunning. It is hauntingly stunning. I love it. And Iroh's reaction to seeing this ship go up in flames, knowing that Zuko's on it. Oh my god. My my heart went into my testicles. It, it, it's, it's just so gut-wrenching. And then Iroh's like, yeah, I'll join your Siege of the North. I'll join your northern invasion thing. 
Why not? And then. And then. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. We realize Zuko is alive and sewing away on Zhao's ship with Iroh helping him. Which is an amazing reveal. A phenomenal, absolutely extraordinary reveal. And then the ending, where Zhao's like, okay, my fleet is ready. Set a course for the Northern Water Tribe. And then that shot, that panning shot of all those ridiculous amounts of ships starting up their engines. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. It is terrifying. It is an absolutely terrifying image. And then that's it. That's where the episode ends. Two more episodes left. We get Seed to the North, parts one and two, which is collectively one of my favorite episodes of all time. Oh my god. You think this episode was great? You think this episode had everything happening? You have no idea. You have no idea what you are in for. Good God. I will say no more for fear of spoilers. If you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast or app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I will play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or if that doesn't work for you, you can also support this show directly via Anchor. I appreciate what I get through there as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1, Episode 19. Finally getting into Siege of the North. One of my favorite episodes collectively because I can't distinguish those two episodes. I can't really put them apart from one another of all time. Talk to you then. It's going to be great.